Thank you. Are we tired, guys? How are we feeling right now? How are we feeling? Woo! All right, okay, I like to hear that. I like to hear that. Yes. Uh, I'm going to jump right in tonight because we, we are going to be talking about something tonight. Uh, the Tevi. The Tevi. And, and whenever you're talking about God, whenever you're talking about grand things of God, things get heavy. But tonight we're going to be talking about hard things. Um, we've talked about defining joy. We've talked about living in joy. Tonight we're going to talk about what about joy and sorrow? Uh, what about joy in, in pain? Uh, what about joy uh, in, in struggle and in, in, in evil uh, when, when our lives are not going the way that we want? Uh, it's important, uh, and one of the more important things that we've seen is this. Joy, joy is present regardless. True biblical joy is, is present in any circumstance, right? But many of you have called my bluff there. You've called me out. And I've even talked to a few about this. I've talked to your counselors about this too. Uh, that's a lot easier said than done. Because some of you come into this room tonight with a family member, maybe even a parent or a sibling back home who has cancer. How can I have joy, Tony, if I know someone who's going to die? Right? Some of you come into this room tonight wrestling with maybe an already diagnosed or considering a diagnosis of depression. I have something in me that always makes me sad, Tony. So how can you just keep talking about joy in any circumstance? Some of you have addictions in your lives that wreck you in shame. Because no one knows about them. Some of you are addicted to pornography in this room. Some of you are addicted to body image in this room. And you hate it, but it won't go away. Some of you are like me, you're high feelers, and every time you swipe on, on Facebook or open the, uh, a web tab on a, on a news site, you see something that makes you want to cry and curl up for a week. So how can I talk about joy? It's a lot easier said than done. I really appreciate, for a lot of different reasons, the movie Infinity War. Um, you guys like, who's all, everybody seen Infinity War? It's been out for a while now, so not Endgame, Infinity War, so spoiler alert, I want to talk about the end, if you haven't seen it by now, that's your fault. Um, but, but one of the reasons why, why Infinity War is so profound to me is the way that it ends. And we've had like a billion superhero movies at this point, but all of these Avengers characters are characters that we just kind of know, no matter how bad it gets, they're going to have the right answer, the right plan, the witty, the witty, funny remark if you're Tony Stark. They're going to they're gonna figure it out. They never seem worried. They always seem on top of things. Not only are they defending the world from aliens, they're cracking jokes while they do it. But Infinity War is different. Because Infinity War are our heroes, these people that always, always have almost a smile on their face as they defend us, they, they stare into a void of sadness and pain, and we see it. And we see it. And some of these are dark; you can't see it because of the screen. But the movie ends us with this void of Captain America not knowing what in the world to do. And you see it on his face and his his physical body, right? Uh, when these people go up in ash, and you see a couple of these moments that I put up, the characters simply don't know what to do. Tony Stark breaks down in tears. The guy who's always got it together is in tears and in shock. And it ends with that. I mean, even Rocket Raccoon, who doesn't, 
almost doesn't feel emotions unless you're really paying attention to his character development. Groot fades away. I mean, think about how good these movies are. This is a side thing. A stinking, walking, talking tree dies, and we want to cry. <laughs> and a lot of that is because a talking raccoon is really upset about it. Um, but this movie is profound in that it, it confronts us with this reality. Sometimes things end, and there, there doesn't seem to be a happy ending. Sometimes things end, and the sadness stays. And there's no answer. And we don't know what to do. When we're faced with, at times, and at times overwhelmed with sadness and pain and doubt, what do we feel in those moments? We feel lost. Yeah, but Tony talks about being joy. Well, when you're honest with yourself, no, I feel lost. I feel lost when my pain makes me not want to leave the house because I don't think anybody thinks I'm pretty. I don't think anyone thinks I'm a man enough to, to, to be able to relate with them. I, I, don't, I don't think my parents love each other anymore. I don't know what's going to happen. And that scares the crap out of me. When those things grip us, it's not just, well, remember, Philippians says joy. No, it's hard. And I know that many of you in this room are already thinking of those things. Let's say, the sadness doesn't go away sometimes. The anger, the overwhelmingness of this doesn't just leave. And I feel hopeless and I feel lost. And joy is not a word in my mind. So what do we do? Tonight we're going to talk about what do we do with sorrow and pain and suffering. And what does Paul tell us to do in Philippians of how we can still have joy even in the worst? Part of it, part of the ways that we handle joy is that we distract ourselves, right? We numb ourselves from real life, right? Pain. Some of you might already be dealing with things like chronic pain in your life. You might already be breaking bones and feeling, we had injuries already today on the, on the ultimate field. Like, that can hurt. That can make us sad. Again, I've already talked about cancer or other diseases. Some of you have parents that are, that are dealing with end-of-life stuff. And you're like, I'm too young for this. How can I deal with this? Or you open up the, tea, the, 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 the newspaper and you see ch children dying in parts of the world. And it's horrific. It's almost unthinkable. You see war, and you're like, why does this keep happening? How can God let this happen? You see injustice. And, and you, what do you do? We, you numb it. What do we do? We, we try to escape it. That's one way. That's one way of trying to handle the sadness and pain of life, is to numb it and to run away with it. Why do we do that? Why do we run and turn off and numb ourselves from pain? I actually want to ask you guys that. Because we all, we all do this at times. But I want to ask, why do you think we, one of our first instincts, when pain enters our heart and mind, why do you think we try to numb it? Why do you think we try to run from it? Why do you think we try to distract ourselves from it? If it's so, these things are very important things that make us feel sad sometimes. Why do we numb them? What do you guys think? Hello, people. Yeah, right here. Think it overwhelm us. Because if, if, if we don't numb it, we're going to get overwhelmed, and who knows what's going to happen, right? No, I said we, that, 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 I, right. We, we think that it's going to overwhelm us. We think it's going to be too much. And we, we experience fear over how we're going to respond to that being that overwhelmed. Right, right here. I think we don't know how to handle the pain. Yeah. And it's scary. Emotionally, we don't always know how to handle pain. And it's scary. I mean, feeling sadness and feeling anguish, it's almost too scary. So we say, I just cannot, I don't know what to do, but I can't do it right now. Right? So I hand right here. Uh, just a lot of times we don't have time to deal with it. We live 
Thank you. Life tells you you're too busy to feel your feelings. And that's so hard as a teenager. But I'm, I'm really insecure about school right now. Yeah, but you got a test tomorrow, so deal with it and move on. And that's unprocessed, unprocessed sadness and insecurity. I'm, I'm really upset about something that happened in my school. A friend of mine died. What do I do? Uh, you're too busy. You got sports practices. Go get to it. And we get to move past it. If I'm not able to deal with it, I better swipe my phone up so I can distract myself from my last one, right? Even if we don't think about it, it'll just go away. Yeah. Right? Eventually, if I ignore it, it'll just disappear. It might disappear up here, but it's still doing work in here. Sadness and pain are real things. And I want you guys to hear this. How, how do we honestly consider joy when the pain of life is so I'm, I'm going to share my own story. And this is maybe a little too real for you guys, but I'm going to share it anyway. I was at work, and it was like 9 a.m., and I, was, I had a lot of work to do that day. And I, I just happened to be clicking on, oh, okay, what, what's happened in the world today? And this was a long time. This is a while ago, a year or so ago. And I'm not, I'm not bringing this up for political reasons at all, but it was one of the, during that time where a lot of folks from other countries were trying to get to America for asylum, and they were in boats, and they were coming across, and folks didn't make it. People didn't make that trek, and children didn't make that trek, and babies didn't make that trek. And I'm a pastor, and here I'm supposed to have all the answers, according to some. Uh, that's not what a pastor's supposed to do. But here I am, getting to work on my pastor work, and I see an image of one of these, one of these children that didn't make the trek. And guys, I closed my computer, and I sobbed in my office. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. I sobbed in my office that day. And I had to call my wife and say, today is off. I couldn't recover. I couldn't recover from the pain of this world. The Bible and God gives you permission to have moments when you can't recover from your sadness. You can't recover from your sorrow. You can't recover from the pain. I, we're talking about joy this week, guys, but the Bible does not say that every Christian should have the happy, the joy means we have a happy mask that we just slap on at funerals, or we just slap on when people are mocking us, or we just slap on when we hear about death. The Bible gives you permission and understands what it means to wrestle with evil and pain. Just very quickly, I'm going to touch on a few examples of this. Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Job, the Psalms, they're not just get through and endure the pain. They show people wrestling with sadness and pain. Jeremiah the prophet says, righteous are you, O God, when what? When I complain to you, when I don't get it, when I'm crying out, you're still righteous. And what does he say? Yet I would still plead my case before you. The prophet is saying, I'm complaining to you. I'm, I'm crying out to you. And what's going on? And you give me permission to still plead that case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why is all this stuff still running? Why is all this evil still happening? It seems like it keeps working. Why do all who are treacherous thrive? And, and, and the prophet says this and does this to model that it's good to come to God and say, I don't get this. I don't get why I'm depressed. I don't get why my parents are having a divorce. I don't get why I can't stop doing these things. I don't get why I can't just work my way out of my spiritual depression. Psalm 63, my soul also is greatly troubled. 
But you notice there's other times in the Bible, guys, where it says, my soul is deeply troubled, but you, O God, are great. That's good to do. But in this moment, he says, my soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? The Bible gives us permission to struggle and wrestle with these things. And it encourages us to what? To not numb it and to not run from it. So the first thing we do in seeking joy through sorrow and pain is to not avoid it or numb it. And I'm not trying to go after you guys, but which means asking ourselves why, why we use these and run to these to numb us, ourselves from our own anxieties and our own, and our own pain. I'm not asking how long. I'm not saying we got to ask ourselves how long we're on this. I'm not saying social media is bad, but guys, we use it. I'm feeling sorrow. I'm, see, I'm feeling sadness. I'm feeling overwhelmed. So I can just scroll. You guys know it when you're on Facebook and you keep doing this. Or if you're on Instagram, you just keep doing this. And it gets even the same thing, but for some reason your finger keeps doing it. You're numbing yourself. You're running from wrestling and dealing with the why, God, is this happening to me? Typical responses to difficulty and sorrow. When you get overwhelmed with the bad in your life, how do you react? For the sake of time, I'm not going to throw it out there for you guys to answer, but I, I can guess a few people would, would, would be able to say. One of them is I numb it. Other folks, when, when the bad enters into my life, I become annoyed. I become irritated. I become angry. And this is really, really true of my generation and also the younger generation. Is I start to criticize. And I start to, to complain. And I start to, to get cynical and blame. And it's important that we see in the book of Philippians that we're looking at that, that, that as Paul is encouraging us to, to, to embrace joy, even in sorrow. Paul says this at one point in Philippians 2. He says, do all things. Paul's real good about saying all to cover all of our excuses. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's hard, guys. It's hard to experience all the mess of our lives, all the sadness that we're wrestling with, and then not grumble about it. We, God gives us permission to come to him. But, but Paul's also on the other hand saying, we shouldn't be people who just grumble and grumble and grumble our pain away. And one of the many reasons Paul calls us to joy and calls us to not doing this is he knows this. We become bad versions of ourselves. Really bad versions of ourselves when we aren't centered on our foundation of joy when the bad stuff kicks in the door. If our foundation is not joy, when bad enters in, when sad enters in, when horror enters in, when depression and evil enter in, we become very, very bad versions of ourselves. And I want you guys to hear this. Again, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to experience anger. It's okay to communicate that anger even to God. Biblical joy does not dismiss or deny sadness and anger. Why? Because Jesus did not deny sadness and anger. Jesus didn't deny that in his own life. Jesus wept. And Jesus also, in anger, defended the holiness of his Father's house. Without a foundation of joy in our lives, these experiences will turn us miserable if we leave them unchecked. Paul says don't go there. In the midst of pain, when the sadness is there, and the anger is there, and the sorrow is there, and the pain is in there, he says embrace joy. He doesn't say embrace just being happy again, but he's saying this. 
In, in biblical joy, we have a secret to contentment. doesn't mean I'm just jumping off the walls in happiness, but I can see hope, and I can trust in, in hope and in contentment. I can find peace even when my world is a mess. I can find peace even when I'm scared to go to school and face my friends. I can experience contentment and trust in God even when everything about me feels angry and overwhelmed with sadness. I can do that. Tonight we're just going to look for a few minutes. Oh, sorry about that. I went to the slides. Can you, can you give me that next slide? Sorry about that, David. Uh, we're going to look at Philippians 4. If you want to turn that, we're going to go to Philippians 4. Um, and we're going to read. This is, the, this is the only passage we're going to look at tonight. Uh, verses 10 through 13. I'm going to have it here on the screen as well. And Paul literally calls this the secret I have. And we're going to call it tonight the secret of joy. And I'm going to read this. And I'm going to ask you, what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on this? What are your reactions to this? What, 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 what jumps out at you and strikes you of what Paul is saying here in Philippians 4? Remember, this whole book, he's encouraging people to have joy. But he's not just pretending joy means nothing wrong is going to happen. And here he shows them, and he's talking to them about how he has mastered that, how he has found a secret to them. So I'm going to read this, and I'm going to open it up for what jumps out of you, what, what strikes you is important. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Notice he doesn't just say happy. He's talking about joy here. He's saying, but content. In other words, I have a foundation that says I'm going to be okay, and things are going to be okay. Content. I know how to be brought low. Sorry, I don't know why I'm walking in front of this and reading it. Uh, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, as that Paul covered all the bases, right? In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger. Facing abundance and facing need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We've heard that verse a lot, but this is the context. This is what sets it up. So a, a few people, what jumps out at you in, in the context of what we're talking about tonight? What jumps out at you? What strikes you is like, that's important. That's why Paul calls it a secret. Yes. Maybe the idea that he has learned the secret of facing um, all, this, all this stuff. Um, because in our society today, we kind of expect it to already be there. We don't want to work for it. We don't want to learn. That's right. So the idea that it's a big challenge is yeah, the fact that it's been a process for him. The fact that, that Paul even has to say this means, oh, well, you're a Christian, right? You just come automatically, right? You, you figured out how to do this. No, he's learned over time how to learn to face these things. He's talking about growth and joy, right? Other people, what jumps out at you about this passage, about this, this verse of what Paul's saying? Anybody else? Anything strike you as important or meaningful about what he's saying right here? He knows, this is important, he knows how to be brought low. In other words, he assumes part of the Christian experience is, is to be brought low, right? To, to, to experience lowness. Is that, is that what you're going to say in the front row here? I, had, I saw a hand up in the front row. He knows how to experience both. He's talking about whatever situation. This is what he's talking about, guys. This, this word's important for joy. In sorrow especially. He's talking about a foundation. 
He's talking about when, when my structure of my Christian life starts to, when the storm starts to come. You guys know the story of the two builders, right? One builds on rock, one builds on sand. A storm comes. There's moments where a roof blows off. Our windows are broken in. Our life feels like it's falling apart. Paul is saying, in whatever situation, my foundation won't be moved. And he's given the secret of joy there. I have joy in knowing my feet won't move. The house might get knocked over, but I have a foundation. My feet are sure. When he uses the word contentment, I'm to be content. Guys, he's, again, he's not talking about happiness. He's talking about being satisfied. He's saying, even when life brings me low, I'm still satisfied. Why, is he, why can he say that? Why can he say that? We're going to get to it in a second, but I'm, I'm going to give you a tease. Because the one thing that will never leave him thirsty or hungry, the one thing that will never leave him is Jesus Christ, and that is what he's clinging to. So he knows that no matter what, he's going to be satisfied meaning he's going to be content, brought low and abound, any circumstance. Joyful people, people of joy experience both. Circumstances affect us. Guys, we should be deeply affected as Christians when we experience hard stuff. But they don't have to dictate. They don't have to dictate and control us in how we live. That's what Paul's talking about. I'm taking these things in. I'm being affected by them. But they will not dictate and control my responses in all parts of life. Because Jesus Christ and the love of Christ is what controls me. Is what Paul says somewhere else. Facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. A joyful person in sorrow has open hands. And trusts that whatever he gets, he can trust in God. We're going to talk about what that means in a moment. So what's the secret to these things? So these, you can nod your head. We're, we're Christians. We can nod our head. We can say, oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, brought low and abound. That's great, Tony. But what's the secret? When we actually think about these things, no, when I'm low, I don't want to think about this stuff. When I'm low, I don't want to open up to Philippians 4. I want to be ticked. I want to be overwhelmed. And, and, and what does he end with? He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. I know you've heard this verse a million times. My kids sit in the back of my van listening to Steve Green. Some of you older folks in the room will understand what that is. And they sit there and they sing this last line of this phrase with their heads doing this and smiling. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. And I want to throw up when I hear it. Um, <laughs> it's over and over and over and over again. And guess what? My kids sing it. They don't get it. They don't get what this verse is actually saying. They think what a lot of us probably grew up thinking like, I can do whatever I want if Jesus is with me, right? But look at the context. Paul is saying this. Paul is saying about this, he's expressing this reality, this truth of, of not that I can do anything with Jesus, but Paul's recipe for joy, his, his recipe for, for how to deal with sorrow and pain is that Jesus satisfies him. In pain, hope and popularity, guys, isn't going to satisfy you. When the, when the proverbial kids in the room, crap hits the fan, you, be, you having a nails Instagram account is not going to satisfy you. You having the best brands on your body walking into school isn't going to satisfy you. You having a nice, happy, pleasurable life isn't going to satisfy you. It's not going to stay that way. It's not going to stay that way. Paul is saying, 
He fills me. And part of joy is that I can endure the hard when it comes because Jesus is satisfied. Because a life with Christ endures, helps me to endure and to get through. Some of you in this room are asking an understandable question. And it's this. That's great, Tony. But why is Christ satisfied? I can sit here all day long as a pastor up here. Like, Christ is what's satisfying you. Christ is what's fulfilling you. Christ is what the hell. But, but, but in the midst of our everyday lives, a question probably enters and it should enter. But why? Why should I trust in Christ in the moments of pain and sadness? Why is Christ the secret of what Paul says of, in, in joy, for joy in sorrow and in suffering? And this is where in Philippians... Paul confronts us and he lays it on. Uh, and and these, these, are, these are, I'm going to go through these quickly, but these are three ways in which he says, this is why, this is why. If you're doubting, and I understand it, you're in this room right now, and you are doubting, saying, why is Christ satisfied? Why does Christ fulfill? Especially in pain. And this is what Paul says in a few, a few spots in Philippians. And the first one, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, in other words, being thrown in jail and persecuted, to me, has really served to advance the gospel. Paul trusts that God's in control, guys. Paul trusts that even when things are at their worst, that, that, that God is somehow in his life and has not left him and is using what is happening in his life to mold him and change him and actually to advance the gospel. He trusts, in other words, God's control. I want you to hear this. Presence of pain is not absence of God. Guys, I know what it's like to be stuck in a room with the door closed and the parents don't know what's going on in your heart and mind and you just got a text message from someone or you've just seen something or you just felt something and, and you were like, God doesn't seem anywhere in, with, with me right now, anywhere in this room. I understand that feeling. The Bible confronts us and says, God does not leave you when the pain enters in. Presence of pain is not absence of God. And that should bring us hope. He says in Philippians 1.29, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Why would I want to sign on to that? But what he's saying here is that because God's in control, he doesn't cause the pain in your life, but he is master over it. He is greater than the pain in the world. He is greater than the war in the world. He is greater than the suffering in the world. And it doesn't go wasted. It's not for nothing. He's not causing it. Think about, think about Joseph, right? Joseph in Genesis 15. His, what did his brothers do to Joseph? They, they pretended, they told his dad that he was dead, and they sold him into slavery. They rejected him into slavery. And later on, when, when he confronts him, what does he say to him? He says, what you meant for evil... God meant for good. In other words, he looked at his brothers in the eye in a moment of difficulty and said, God's bigger than your evil. God is bigger than our depression. Depression is a real thing. And, and studies show that our, this gener coming generation is one of the most depressed generations there are. God's bigger than it. And we can cling to him in the midst of it because he works through it. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ. Not only is he in control, not only is he good, but he also supplies for us. He's not only in control and master of our pain, of painful situations for us, but he supplies goodness to us 
when we need it. Joy in sorrow. And this is so hard, guys. It's a lifetime of, ask your leaders, it's a lifetime of learning to do this. But joy in sorrow is trusting in God's control in our lives and God's goodness. We could have a whole other talk on if God is so good, why is there evil in the world? But we don't have time for that tonight. Yeah, Thursday. Thursday. Commercial break. Um, <laughs> but the joy in sorrow means for us to trust, even when it's hard for us to believe it, trusting that God is good and God is in control. And that's really what that means is we're trusting something outside of our own experience. Who likes Lord of the Rings? Um, so this is Samwise Gamgee. He's the best character in the Lord of the Rings. And uh, there's a moment in Two Towers when everything seems terrible. When everything seems terrible, everything seems bad, everything seems like it's ruined. And Samwise Gamgee says something to, to, to Frodo. Frodo is, is, is fretting over the death that's in front of him, right? And, and Samwise Gamgee says this. I want us to read this because these, these words are so sweet. And Tolkien wrote these words knowing about the pain in our lives and the pain in the world. And this is what, this is what Sam says in this moment of death and overwhelming pain. He goes, I know, I'm, it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. But it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger. The stories that matter still have darkness and danger. They were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but how... How many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you have had a day where you say, how can the end be happy for me? How can the end be right? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened, but in the end, it's only a passing thing, the shadow. And if you read this with gospel lenses, that the power of Jesus Christ almost bursts through these words. And he says, even darkness must pass, a new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand, I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, but they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. And you know what Frodo says back to him is, what are we holding on to, <coughs> Sam? And my question tonight for you is that when the depression hits, the sadness hits, the pain is real, the, the anger is there, the, the distance from God is true to you. And you want to shut it down, you want to swipe through your phone, you want to forget about it, you want to run to bad stuff to ignore it. What are you holding on to? The test of Christian joy in your life will eventually ask you, what are you holding on to? What is Paul holding on to? What does the gospel hold on to? I'm going to read you another thing. This is what Paul is holding on to. And I hope these words move you because they're God's words. And this is the hope, the peace that we have in joy, even in the worst, says this to us in our sadness 
and our pain and a world of anguish, it says this to us. That one day the dwelling place of God will be with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. What is Paul holding on to? Paul is holding on to the the reality that one day God will be with them and he will wipe every tear away from their eye. That death will be no more. That neither will there be mourning and neither will there be crying and neither will pain be any more for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the the throne, who is bigger than, than the worst that you've experienced, who's bigger than your addictions, who's bigger than the divorces in your life, that are bigger than cancer, the one who is seated on the throne now and will be when you die and will be for eternity is saying this, behold, I am making all things new. And there's people in this room right now, and I understand it, are saying, I don't believe it. It doesn't feel this way. And God knows that. And his word knows that. And Jesus knows that. And so right after he says this, you know what he says? Write this down. Because these words are trustworthy and true. He gives us hope and joy, knowing we're going to doubt it, and says, but it's trustworthy. You can count on it. You can hold on to this. Does that help you now? Does that help you today? Does that help you when you go home? Yes. Because not only is Jesus going to return and make all things new, but guys, Jesus is enough for you right now. If you don't think anybody really, really accepts you, if you don't think the people will actually bring you in. They're going to reject you. If you don't think that the pain is ever going to lift, Jesus is enough for you right now. I'm going to end with what Paul says here. He says, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth, meaning this, Jesus is better of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all of these things. I count them as rubbish. I count all of the things that I've been holding on to. I've tossed them away and I count them as rubbish. That means dung. It means trash. In order that I may gain Christ. I count it as a loss. Knowing Christ right now is enough for you. Do you believe that Christ is better? Do you believe that even today, and even maybe a month from now, when you have one of those days, that in the midst of that, Christ is better? Believe it. Because you know what? A few minutes ago, we sang it. What did did we sing? We sang, I can see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on, and there will be an end that is coming. But until that day comes... What does he say? Until that day comes, still I will praise you. I sat and watched as you stood and you sang those words. But Christians, do you believe it? What are you holding on to when the storm hits? Let it be Jesus. Let it be the cross. And let it be the hope that one day the tears will be wiped 
we will be made renewed and we will have perfect relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, forgive us for not believing it. Forgive us for holding on to other things. But also as we say that and ask for forgiveness, God, reassure us with your mercy and with your grace that you came into this world and you died upon a cross and you rose from a grave to defeat death, to defeat sadness, to defeat sorrow, to beat it because you're better than those things. Jesus, thank you. And help us to get it. Help us to, to hold on to it. Help us to trust it in a way that we didn't before. Jesus, come quickly. We long to see all things made new and to find joy in you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.